Christian Gospel with Dr. Halissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. So we'll get started here. And what I'd like to do is back up a little bit just to remind you it's it has been a week probably since you looked at the the list. So let's go back here and look at the comparison between just at a glance. And then this is what we're doing now. We we've looked at the list, the comparison list, and now we're going back through them one by one and saying, hey, where else do we see this? Do we see this in the book of Revelation? And beyond the book of Revelation, do we see this in our own generation? That would be two important things to connect with. Number one, the the what I would call the Revelation Haggadah, the Revelation plagues, and John's description of those plagues. And of course, we want to connect them with our own time period. Because if if we don't know who the enemy is, if we don't know the the siege tactics of the enemy, then we might f- just fall right into it. You know, we we might not really see the enemy coming because maybe we're looking for something a little more apocalyptic that we can read in one sitting, like the book of Revelation, instead of looking at how these particular plagues might occur over the course of time, maybe so slowly that we don't automatically link them together at the beginning, right? So in the comparison, remember the the war tactics of the kings correspond to the 10 plagues. So the plague of blood corresponded to what is usually a preliminary tactic, which is to attack the sources of the city's fresh water, to attack water supplies. The plague of frogs, we saw was connected to another tactic in which the besieging force will use sound to frighten and to confuse. And remember, that's what's underlying all of this. In the Wars of Kings, there is an insect, a supernatural insect, sometimes translated as a hornet, a locust. It's called the tzila in the Torah. The Torah calls it the tzila. And it, it works two ways. Remember, it shoots its venom to blind you, to confuse you, to frighten you, to torment you. That preliminary step is not to kill you. It's it's purely torment and confusion. And then the second step is that it will go in and it will cut off the root and the fruit. And when it cuts off the root and the fruit, when it cuts off the next generation, when it cuts off your ability to bear good fruit, in that process, it could also take your life, right? We would see that also as, you know, in terms of when the Tzira went before the Israelites to destroy the Canaanite kings, of course, it, it did bring about their death. But sound is one of the tactics, words. It, it might even be music, you know, and um, not so long ago, if we watch movies about the Revolutionary War or maybe the War of 1812, or maybe some of the European wars, we saw that they had musicians that went before the army. And not only did that encourage the army, but it was also able to throw fear into the the enemy. Because if you hear the sound of those drums beating, Today, that's still an expression. That's still a, a euphemism where, you know, when you hear the drums beating, that's saying that 
hey, there's there's conflict on the horizon. And so we don't always see the enemy before we hear the enemy, but it might come at the same time. So it might be through sound. It might be through music. It might be through taunting. It, it's We see all of this as tactics in scripture. Uh, next, what is described as lice or gnats, this corresponds to the the light ranged missiles. Uh, this is not a face-to-face combat. Uh, this you may not even know where it comes from. It just may appear out of the air. And this is when the archers would launch arrows into the city. And so th- there's no real aiming there. It just seems like it's falling randomly. But what does this do? It, it's something that gets under your skin. And again, it continues the work of the sira. It causes anxiety. Of course, it stings too. Make no doubt about it. An, an arrow can kill you. All right. It's it's not that it, it won't kill you. It's just that at this stage of the game, it's, it'll seem more random because it, it happens at such a distance. That's what we call it a ranged missile. Next would be the pestilence. And no, excuse me, I, I skipped the wild beasts. We're going to talk about, we're going to start with the wild beasts today. And the wild beasts would be a mixture of wild beasts. It it wouldn't be one particular kind. It would be a mixture of them. Sometimes it's called swarms of flies. Depends on your translation. The entire biblical context seems to be pointing us to a mixture of wild beasts because even Paul is going to talk about how he fought wild beasts at Ephesus. And it, it kind of fits what we know about the mixture of beasts. Next is and of course, that's going to correspond to the foreign mercenaries. That's where we're getting the, the idea here of mixture. There's foreign elements mixed in with this. And these are people who are paid to play, right? They are for sale. Number five is going to be the pestilence. And this is the tactic of trying to seize captives. You try to catch people away from a place of safety. You prey upon the weak. And like we said the last couple of weeks, Notice how these plagues, they're not separate from one another. They build upon one another. There's elements of one plague that you'll see in the other plague. So if we look at the plague of wild beasts, wild beasts are predators. So uh, with the pestilence, there is an element of captivity. It's not just disease. Disease does hold you captive. And we just came through something with that, how a disease can hold you captive. It can bind you up. It can limit your movement. And so the seizing of captives, kind of locking people in place where they can't be useful, where they can't move, again, it instills fear, and there's a predatory aspect to it. Number six is the boils, and that's going to be related to the next stage of a siege, which is to try to burn the city. You try to lob things that will set things on fire. Burning is, again, full of terror. Each of these steps is going to have some element of what the the hell bug does. It doesn't only cause you confusion, it causes you anxiety and torment before it kills you. It it wants to to torment you first, and then in the end, you might be killed. But its primary job at first is not to kill. It's to simply cause you anxiety and torment. And of course, the the boils, we're going to look at some specific scripture that links boils to burning. Seven is the hail, the plague of hail. And this will fall into the, the category of heavy bombardment. Again, it's going to be ranged weapons. It's not, it's almost face-to-face combat, 
but it's it, they're still considered ranged weapons, right? This might be the artillery. This might be dropping missiles out of airplanes and things like that. If you were to compare it to something in the the military world, but it's it's not going to be something you can face. It's just going to fall on you. And again, there's the element of of torment and terror because it's it's hard to dodge it. Uh, you might take refuge. That's going to be your your you know response at this point is try to find a safe place of refuge. Number eight is the locusts, and the locusts are an army. They're a large army, and this is finally you are are facing the real enemy face to face. And so these are the melee units. This is the infantry. This is the book. These are the the foot soldiers of the army, and you will look them in the eyeballs. You will know who's after you at this point, and they will just overrun things and destroy everything. Anything that's left, they'll destroy. Uh, Number nine is going to be darkness, which will be another element of imprisonment, not as random as seizing captives. This, you'll, you'll put the whole city in a state of darkness. You'll put a whole people into a state of darkness, which is going to be directly connected to not just anxiety, but the the worst forms of anxiety. We would probably call it clinical depression, deep depression, hopelessness, hopelessness to the extent that if somebody could do harm to themselves, they would. But this is, remember the tactic of the tzila at the preliminary steps of his attack, he 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 won't let you die. We'll read that in Revelation. He will not let you die. He you must suffer the torment. And that deep depression, that freezing, that inability to move from your place uh, is is basically the win. That's the win. At this point, what is left, if there's any chance of say countermeasures, it'll be followed by the execution of the city's leaders, which corresponds, of course, to the death of the firstborn. All right, just a little bit of review for anybody that that might have missed last week. Let's get into the plague of wild beasts, which is plague number four. Plague number four. And remember, this corresponds to an attack by foreign mercenaries. These are people who were paid to play. These are hunters, and they're for sale. They're unrooted. They're very unstable. Uh, They're described in quite a bit of detail. As you get toward the end of the apostolic scriptures, as you're you're kind of winding down the letters of the apostles, and you're getting ready to move into the book of Revelation, you will read about these people. They're called clouds without water. They're unrooted. They're unstable. They are the hidden reefs at your love feast. In in other words, they just pop out on you. (laughs) Uh, But scripture is trying to warn us that they're there and they've been there the whole time. They've been walking among us the whole time. Uh, But at this stage, at this plague, number four, they will form into mobs and they will attack. Again, they're predatory, they prey on the weak. And they're specifically looking for people who might cut in on their income. And there's all sorts of income that we could make. You might measure your income and money. Some people aren't that interested in money. If you look at maybe politicians, a lot of them, yeah, they they might be looking for ways to make money on the side. We've seen that recently. But 
just as often when you look at people in places of power, whether it's politics, it could be any other system of the beast. And notice in our picture here is a picture of a leopard because the leopard represented the Greek kingdom and the kingdom of the beast, the, the stage of the, the beast kingdom of Greece was the leopard and it was characterized by its spots. And as we went into a Hebrew study, we saw that the spots represented systems, organizations, and how does the leopard prey upon you? Through his organizations. And at first, he will try to entice you. Second, he will try to intimidate you or coerce you. And then third, if you don't come into the system and do what he says, then he will try to destroy you. So it's um, it's a gradual process with Greece. And what happened was the next beast, which is Rome, which was a composite beast of the beast that went before the lion, the bear, and the leopard, he took all these systems of Greece and began to perfect them, like sports, athletics. First, you're enticed, then you're coerced, and eventually it can destroy you. And it can bring decay to a nation. If you look at the Colosseum of Rome, it brought decay to a nation because winning at all costs began to destroy the, the, the soul of Rome. Other systems, it could be medical systems. Any system that's out there can be used. It can be the educational system. First, you're enticed, then you're coerced, and then you're destroyed. And do you see mobs? in these systems, dealing with these systems somehow. Sometimes they appear to be organized, but at this stage, often it's it's very quick. They assemble very quickly, right? It's like you didn't know there was a system there, but all of a sudden it assembles. It's like a flash mob. What happens in a lot of college towns, if they win a, an athletic championship, they start overturning car, cars and setting things on fire. I mean, my goodness, they start shooting guns. <laughs> it's just, really? Is that, that how you want to celebrate? You might see that in politics. You might see mobs. You might see it in the economic system. You might see mobs pop up and they begin to raid stores and loot and so forth. Just destroying things sometimes. Sometimes it's not even about what they can steal with the mob. It's what they can destroy, what they can overturn. and these mobs, it, it, the, the, the swiftness with which they can assemble today even exceeds Paul's day when they assembled really fast. Remember, he's in the city of Ephesus and he starts preaching the gospel and the craftsmen, the craftsmen's guild there again, that's an organization. There was already an organization in place. It was a craftsman's guild. And they realize he's cutting in on their business because now he's preaching Yeshua and they don't need their little silver Diana idols anymore. Are they upset because they're that religious? Absolutely not. He's just cut in on their economy. He's cut in on their wealth. And so that organization that's already present very quickly pulls in this level of plague which is wild beasts. There are going to people be people always wandering around out there till Yeshua comes who are for sale. You just shout out the topic of the day. You shout out what you perceive the atrocity of the day is, and they will join you and just jump 
in it with you to feed, right? They smell blood and they live in the fervor of the moment. So nowadays, you know, with things like, well, I'm not even going to name the apps because there's too many of them now, but they can go on an app with like-minded people, that is wild beasts, unrooted, unstable, living in the fervor of the moment, predatory. And in a moment, they can find some place to go and destroy. That's what's meant by a mixture of the beast. As we're trying to take, you know, a little swarm of animals, wild animals, a mixture of wild animals, how do we say, well, how is that happening today? Well, that's exactly what's happening today. Nothing's really changed. Paul gave us the clue when he got attacked by the wild beasts at Ephesus, and he calls them out. He says they were wild beasts, and they might even attack you for calling them beasts instead of human beings when they're not acting at all like human beings. They're acting like beasts, but they are for sale. Um, They shop around for things to be offended by. They shop around for things to be upset about, and it's not as if they personally have this conviction. They don't. You could have talked to them 10 minutes ago and they wouldn't have given, you know, you know, two cents for that particular offense. But if there's going to be something exciting happen, if we're going to go beat somebody up, if we're going to go loot a store, if we're going to go set something on fire, if we're going to go tear something up, if we're going to go instill fear into motors, then by all means, let's go do it. And we're for that. Now, what did you say I'm for? You know, maybe you need to give me a T-shirt so I'll remember what I'm for in this moment. That's the mentality that we're talking about. And I don't know that we've ever seen it in history as severe as we see it today, because now almost, well, yeah, in real time, we can watch it happening. If we have television or even a, a phone where we can get live video feeds, we can watch these mobs in action. But remember, they are not really sold out to the cause. They might be controlled by those who were really sold out, who were part of the organizations of the beast that we're talking about. So they're, they're only on the periphery in that sense. Just like in ancient times, let's say Babylon, they want to attack a particular city-state. Do they send their best troops in first? No, they hire mercenaries to go in first and soften them up to instill the fear in them. You hold your best troops for the last. You want to preserve them. Uh, But in that sense, yes, the mercenaries are part of the organization, but they're not truly the invested ones because they'll sell themselves to tomorrow's cause as well. Right. And so when you look at the headlines, it'll change. You know, they'll have riots for this cause this week, but then they'll have riots for that cause next week. Are they the same people? Sometimes, but they all have the same mentality. Now, As we're looking at a mixture of beasts, Rashi points out, or he he, I guess you would say he puts the the spotlight on two particular kinds of beasts out of this mixture of wild beasts. And he says that the plague of mixed wild beasts on Egypt included the scorpions and the serpents. And he says all sorts of harmful beasts and snakes and scorpions. He says, in a disordered assortment, following the tactics of the wars of kings. In other words, he's pointing us back to our paradigm we're working from here with the wars of kings. And even though there's an order of tactics, they appear to you in a very disorderly manner. 
And that's the thing that you can remember about the wild beast. It's a state of disorder, a state of disorder. And out of the disordered assortment of beasts, snakes and scorpions can be particularly harmful. Now, we're going back to the wilderness because we're talking about Exodus. We're talking about what is the template that we've been given to work from. If you remember when the Israelites went into the wilderness and the clouds of glory, remember they're protected by the clouds in the wilderness because that's what Paul tells us. They were all under the cloud. As long as they stayed under the cloud, in other words, they were cooperative. They were obedient. They did what the Holy One said through Moses. Then that cloud specifically protected them from the wild beasts of the wilderness, particularly scorpions and serpents. If they remembered their king, then they were protected. The wild beasts had no control over them. But when they forgot, when they forgot his commandments, then the serpents were loosed upon them. And that's, you say, well, how do we prepare for this today? Well, if you obey his commandments, you still might find yourself attacked by wild beasts. What's the difference? How does a beast harm you? Hurt your feelings? Okay, yeah, that's harm. It's it's sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not quite true. Words do hurt, but can they kill you? Can they cause an incurable wound? If you are following the commandments, no, they cannot. It's just a plague. It's uncomfortable. It's it's um, it can be it can make you sad. Of course, when people attack you, it it can make you feel down when people attack you. But can they kill you? Can they take away from you what the King of Kings has given to you? Your inheritance? No, they can't. And so there there will be a season of testing. There will be seasons where the same plagues that are out of there in the earth that we're also experiencing them, but we're experiencing them differently. We're experiencing them as tests. Will you remember your king? If so, whatever they do to you, it might make you feel bad, but it's like with Job. You can't take his life. You can take maybe his goods. You you know, if his children, there's some evidence there that, that possibly he had some rascally children because remember he was making sacrifices on their behalf. They weren't even doing it. And then they were partying hardy when they were actually killed. Could he take somebody out of your life? He could. He could. Let's hope he doesn't. But if there are people out there who were who have forgotten their king, then scorpions and serpents can go in and do some real damage there. But in this case, like with Paul, the wild bees couldn't kill him. They couldn't kill who he was. And at the very worst, all a wild beast could ever do is take your body but they can't take your soul. And that's what we're warned. Don't worry about the, the things that are they're able to kill the body. Worry about something that's able to kill your soul. That's the important thing. Because just because this body dies doesn't mean anything except life is started for the righteous, that is. But the intention here is just to remind us, hey, keep walking with your king. He's going to clear out these serpents and scorpions. They're, they don't have access to your soul, right? They can't kill your soul. They can make your soul very uncomfortable. But you keep walking in his word and it, it strips the power out of them. And remember, Yeshua was taken into the wilderness to be tempted. Why the wilderness? Because it's related to this plague of wild beasts. There's 
a predatory nature to the wilderness. And we are in the wilderness of the peoples, by the way. So there will be times when we are preyed upon. Yeshua was preyed upon in the wilderness to be tested, not to kill him, to be tested, to see if he would answer, it is written, instead of, I think I feel I want. And a lot of times, yeah, those beasts do get some bites in on us until we learn to say, it is written, instead of, I think I feel I want. Because if the beast perceives that you're big on feelings, then he will attack your feelings. If he finds out you're big on thoughts, he will attack your thoughts. If the beast notices you have a lot of sensuality, a lot of desire, you you like that excitement, then that's exactly where he's going to attack. Until you start to answer him based on it is written, not I desire, not my appetite. And that's what the word does throughout our lifetime. It, it makes us more and more and more spiritually agile as we answer. It is written. It is written. It is written. And it might start out, I don't care what I feel. It is written. I don't care what I think. It is written. I don't care what I want. <laughs> it is written. That's a hard one to say sometimes <laughs> because we think we feel it we want different things sometimes than the king wants for us. When we listen to that, then we forget him. And when we forget him, he says, okay, let me take a little bit of this protection away from you so you'll remember what my word says. Now, if you, this brings us back to the tzua. This brings us back to the hell bug uh, that is released out of Abaddon. He was used by Moses um, on behalf of Moses in destroying Canaanite kings. He was also used in the time of Joshua uh, to destroy Canaanite kings. So Moses, Joshua, we have a record of it being used twice before John, and it, it, there might be more. Those are the only two I'm aware of. Before John begins to try to describe them, which he has a hard time doing because they're not of this world. Uh, they're, a, they're a supernatural creature. If you want a good review on the attributes of that creature, like I'm saying, you know, how do you know how this bug works? Well, scripture tells us how the bug works. And so if you were wanting to research that, then you can go back in the, the YouTube videos to 2018. And the title of the, well, there's a two-part program, I believe, part one and part two. It's in the Torah portion, re'eh, re'eh. And the title is Destroy, You Shall Destroy. Destroy, You Shall Destroy. So if you can dig back in the archives there and find that, you'll, you'll get basically the Moby Dick of the Hellbug. So that when I keep saying, well, his job is to shoot venom, his job is to blind you, confuse you, torment you, cut off root and fruit, you'll have a really good context for that. I don't really want to reteach it. But that's the the way that the Tzirah operates. And because he's not of this world, he can be described in various ways, a hornet, a locust, a horse, uh, a horse-like scorpion. It'll have like a serpent's aspect to it as well, is one, way, one of the ways John describes it. He will also have uh, the features of a man you will have the, the face of a man, but it'll describe his hair like that of a woman. And so, he, like I said, he, he's got two basic steps. He shoots venom at the foes of Israel, 
this causes blindness, confusion, torment, anxiety. And then his second step, once you have been tortured, (laughs) his second step, he cuts off the root and the fruit, right? He'll, He'll take you into total blindness, total confusion, total anxiety, total helplessness, total, what would you say? Just throw your hands up. You won't know what to do. And then, of course, he he separates out the generations. He inhibits your ability to produce good fruit, not bad fruit, but your ability to produce the good fruit. And you can see a real generation gap here when you start looking at how he works in a practical realm. As we go beyond what scripture describes, you say, well, how would that look in a generation? When you start to see the, we we started hearing about the generation gap, I think back in the 60s, it's even worse today. There is an even worse generation. It just keeps getting wider and wider and wider because now the the disengaged generations are having babies and then that disengaged generation is having babies and then that disengaged generation is having babies. And the second generation, it's getting increasingly more difficult to preserve that respect and that link between the two generations, because we see less and less generations willing to lay down their lives for their children. They're they're more interested in uh, self-promotion, self-fulfillment, self-esteem. The, the, the dominant things in our culture today start with self. Well, that's exactly how you cut off the root and the fruit. If you want your children disengaged and worse than you are, that's what you do. You keep working on yourself. So let's look at the the wild beasts. It's strong. So 6160, which is Arav. Arav. Arav is derived from strong 6150, which is also Arav. And it, it lends there the sense of sterility. Sterility. That should sound really familiar right now, guys. Not only does it separate the generations out, it causes the generations um, to become less productive. And right now in our culture, there is definitely a mob mentality. We've definitely got wild beasts out there. And in, in the work of the wild beasts, again, which they're for sale, you know, whether they're 100% convinced of the doctrines that they they promote, probably if you looked in their heart of hearts, they don't really care. They're just for disruption. They're just for predation, cutting off the root and the fruit. And we have fallen to such an extent that now it's as though, even though we, the, the earth is definitely overpopulated, that mentality is not going to uh, last much long, much longer. And what we would say are the more civilized countries, well, they're not that civilized. They're actually wild beasts. Because what are they doing? They're not reproducing. And when they do reproduce, they're making their children twice the sons of hell that they are. Because they refuse to teach them morality. They refuse to teach them the ethics that have stood since the creation, which can only be found in the word of Adonai. That's the only place you find your ethics. It's the only place you find your morality. It's the only place that is going to 
endure. It is written. It's a, it's a foundation for every generation. It does not change from generation to generation. But instead, you hear stupid things like, well, I'm going to wait till my child gets grown, and then they can decide for themselves what religion they want to be. They can decide how spiritual they want to be. Well, I'm spiritual, but you know, uh, I don't exactly live by the Bible. And more and more, any catalog you pick up, there's a little Buddha in the background. I'm like, what? In the, when did this start? Probably again. There was a lot of shaking going on in the '60s. Now we're the fruit we're getting is taking us towards sterility, marriage of a man and a woman, which produces fruit. Now that's under direct attack. There, there's no question it's under direct attack in this generation in a way that it never has been in previous generations. Deuteronomy 32, 17 um, mentions that there will there will come a time when you serve gods your fathers did not know. In other words, as immoral as our ancestors might have been in previous generations, this generation of mercenaries is going to be characterized by promoting immoralities even they would not have thought of. What did he say? Sodom would have repented in sackcloth and ashes if they had heard this word, right? This word, this generation has more word than any other, and yet they are departing in the most unthinkable ways that previous generations have not even thought of. I mean, we have kids who. I don't think they literally think they're cats or kangaroos or whatever it is they say they're identifying as nowadays. I think this is stuff just planted uh, in order to produce sterility. Sterility of the soul. Where you've got human beings who can produce absolutely nothing but chaos. That's all they can produce. They can't produce the good works of the scripture. They can't produce the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, gentleness. You don't see that much anymore. And it's up to the people of faith. It's up to the righteous to continue and be established in the fruit of the spirit so that the world has a point of comparison. And when they get sick of these unthinkable levels of immorality, they will see that light they will see that menorah on a hill and they will know where to go and say, how do I repent? I don't even understand. They don't even understand right and wrong at this point because right is whatever the mob says it is. Right is whatever the wild beast says it is. They don't know there is a wrong and a right. They don't know it is written. And if we don't tell them who will, if we're not available to them, who will be? Because even our fathers did not descend to these levels of immorality. It says it again in Daniel eleven thirty eight, And Paul, as he's teaching us about what happened to him in um, Ephesus, he's writing to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, and he's telling them about this incident at Ephesus. And he links it again with this sterility of the soul. He says, if from human motives... I fought with wild beasts at Ephesus. What does it profit me? If it's a human motive, it's nothing more than the beast itself. It's a beast fighting a beast. But he says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That's the mentality of the beast. 
And Paul is saying, Yeshua resurrected from the dead. Yeshua resurrected so we could resurrect from the dead. There is a tomorrow. We don't have to eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die and there's nothing else. That is a sterility of the soul. That is a sterility of thought process. That is a sterility of appetite. That is a sterility of emotion. You don't produce fruit from that. You produce gluttony. You produce drunkenness. You produce drug addiction. You produce theft. You produce robbery. You produce murder. You produce adultery. You produce rape. You produce fornication. Why is there more fornication in this generation than any other? They don't even have the respect of a a marriage agreement like people from ancient times. Because the mentality is, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Let's do everything we can possibly do, because there's no accountability for tomorrow. And Paul is saying, we're different from that. We know the dead are raised, and we know there is a tomorrow. There is a reason to maintain a fruitfulness of the Spirit. Because when we don't live with that fruitfulness of the spirit based on it is written, not I think I feel I want, what are we doing? We're the contrast. We are fighting with wild beasts. What does the gospel do? It cuts in on their systems. It cuts in on their organizations. Because all those organizations as they have continued to evolve over time, they're really at this point prefaced with, let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And it it, it takes some really weird turns too. Like the climate change question, is climate changing? Yes, because of sin. You wanna stop climate change, you quit sinning. Sin makes heat. We're gonna see that in the plague of boils. Sin makes heat. Sin scorches you. Sin will kill you. Of course, there's climate change because we are more sinful than we have ever been in history. People don't think there's any profit to righteous living. So they eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. They think it's just a matter of death, that there's no accountability. There is. There is no reason to live a predatory life. And when you stand for the word, you cut in on sports as God. You cut in on politics, the corruption. When you stand on the word, you stand against the garbage they're trying to teach children in school. And you can go through every one of those systems. When you stand for the word, you can say military. That's a, that's a road too far. That's not the way you raise up an army. There are standards for an army in the scripture. Why would we pick different ones? We cut in on their economy. We cut in on the economy of let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. What is what are the climate change philosophy, the climate change religion? What does it lead to? They really just want to kill most of the people except for themselves. Uh, that's all I can see. They want to restore the earth (laughs) and and no people when actually we were created to rule over this earth. Have we done a horrible job? Yes. How do we correct it? Obey. 
keep the commandments, keep the statutes, keep the ordinances. And so eventually this, this economy that helps drive so many of these organizations and systems of the beast, it's going to be destroyed by the plagues. The rise of the economy that has fostered so much of this immorality, it could only occur in a strong economy. It could only occur in an economy of leisure where people have the free time to go hunt down the the worst kind of immoralities and to practice the worst kind of immoralities. Back in the 30s, life was hard. Just finding two or three meals a day took all day for most people. They didn't have the free time to philosophize. Too much free time, electronics. It's given us all the time in the world to find out exactly how reprobate we are. But if we stay busy, if we serve Adonai, then we we don't lend so much free time to self-discovery. And instead, we lend it to his service. We lend it to feeding the orphans. We lend it to protecting widows. We invest it in those who need our help instead of preying upon them and using them simply as tools for whatever system we adhere to as a mercenary, as a wild beast. Is there hope? Oh, you bet there's hope. You know there's hope. That's why we're here, because Yeshua is the hope. He's the Mikva Yisrael. And if we go back to Acts 10, Verses 9 through 15, remember, this is Peter's vision. And Peter was told to rise, kill, and eat. Peter sees the mixed bag of wild beasts. And he says, oh, no, Lord. Mm -mm. There's nothing in there I would eat. I've never touched anything unclean. Well, let's, let's see exactly what he was being asked to do. Within a swarm of wild beasts, a bag of wild beasts, there would have also been clean animals who got caught up. And that's exactly what he's shown about his vision is that these non-Jews, these believers from the nation, they were clean and they weren't unclean simply by the fact that they were touching unclean things, that they were all out there in the same bag. They'd all been tossed into the same bag, good, bad, ugly. But out in those nations, there were going to be Gentiles. There were going to be non-Jews who wanted to come to the covenant. They're clean. And so just because there, there might have been a snake wound around their ankle, it didn't mean they were a snake. It meant that they had been touching them. And remember, part of that was uh, in Jewish law at that time. A Jew didn't even go into a Gentile's home to eat just to be sure that they're not going to be eating an unclean thing. And so this is used as an object lesson. He's saying, hey, look, I want you to go talk to Cornelius. I know you see him as being in this mixed bag of wild animals, but I want you to take him out. I want you to lead him to the house of the father. I want you to to make a separation with him. Don't call him unclean just because he's touching unclean things. He's a Roman. I'm going to bring him out and you're going to be part of that. And that's 
we're part of that too. We're like Peter. We we can't just look out there and condemn everything we see on the news. In that mixed bag of wild beasts out there that we're looking at on the news every day, that we're running into at the grocery store, there's some clean animals out there. There's some clean people. And are they running around with wild things? They are. And it might be that you're the Peter that's going to take Cornelius by the hand and teach them step by step what is written. What is their guideline now? Because it is confusing if you're in a mixed bag of wild beasts. And remember, their religion changes every day. It just depends on where the mob's going today. They need you to help ground them. And it is written. And it's it's just like putting blinkers on a horse. You ever watch the horse races and you wonder why some of those horses had a, a hood on and little blinkers and there's little things out to the side here. What does that do? It keeps them running straight ahead because some horses, if they see a horse running over here or they see that jockey moving his whip around or they see a horse over here and that jockey moving his whip around or they feel like something's coming up on them too fast, they'll start getting off the track. They'll start running and bumping into stuff. But some of them, if you'll put blinkers on them, they'll sit, go straight ahead and they'll, they'll run faster because they're not wasting all their time going back and forth and being distracted by what's going on around them. The word acts on us like that. Do you feel like you're distracted a lot? It is written, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is written. I don't care what I think I feel I want. It is written, it is written. If you will discipline yourself over time, you won't do it in a day, you won't do it in a week, you won't do it in a year. But over the course of your life, if you will resort to it is written, when you're confused and anxious about, I think I feel I want, and you know, I think I feel I want is not lining up with the dead will raise, which is what Paul is telling them in, in, in Corinth, the dead are raised. So we should never be subject to let us eat, drink, and be merry. Let us think, let us feel. You're not subject to those things. What guides your life is it is written. And you know what? There's going to be a lot of unclean things out there on either side of you, and it's going to be really easy to get distracted by it. Quit sharing so many videos on your phone, Facebook. Quit looking for self-fulfilling prophecies. When you say, you mark my words, that's going to turn out this way. Quit looking to find ways to reinforce your, your dire predictions. You won't have to look long. It's, it's kind of like fishing out of a barrel. You're bound to find something. There's no doubt about it. The wild beasts are out there. They're, they're everywhere. You can confirm every suspicion that there's conspiracies, that these organizations are corrupt, that they're thieves, that they're robbers, that they're fornicators, that they're every unclean thing, and they practice every unclean thing. You can affirm that. Quit fixating on that and start fixating on it is written because out there in that bag, there's a few clean ones. And those are the ones you're going to have to minister to. Okay, so the next one, I kind of got off on a tangent there, didn't I? We got a lot more to say about wild beasts. But just remember the Arava goes back to Arov, which is the wild beasts. The Arava is a wilderness. And if you're out here in the wilderness of the peoples, it will be a place where you're surrounded by wild beasts. You'll be tested by wild beasts, but you don't have to be a wild beast. You don't have to become a predator yourself, and you don't have to become prey. The Israelites didn't have to become prey as long as they obeyed. You pray and obey, and you will not become prey. Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. 
information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com. You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook, and our YouTube channel.